0: This, this, this is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Your war room for insider news and draft analysis from deep within the confines of Cowboys headquarters at the Star and Frisco. The Dallas Cowboys like TD Lamb. Oh, they took him! Now, your host, Kyle Yeomans. We are just 16 days away. 16 short days away. We've got about four or five more episodes of the draft show prior to the 2021 NFL draft once again, April 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. So glad you're with us here over the next hour as we break down some more draft talk and we've continued this for what is now 35 episodes of the draft show this year. So glad you've been along on this journey with us. Kyle Yeomans alongside Kevin KT Turner. We've got Jeff Cavanaugh. And then Bucky Brooks is on the way. Of course, Bucky Brooks big time with the NFL Network, so we're on his schedule whenever it comes to him joining our show. We love Bucky and we will see him coming up here in just a couple of moments, but a lot of exciting, uh, at least for draft nerds, talk today because... We're going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to get into some day three guys to talk about. And we're also going to talk about maybe even the new age of scouting. But overall, Jeff, I mean, we're getting into the final couple weeks here. If you had to peg, what would be the most stressful thing on NFL front offices right now? Because, I mean, there's stress all year round. But right now, whenever you're, you're done with pro days, those are in the rearview mirror. You've pretty much done all of these interviews. What's the most stressful part? about the draft process leading into these final two weeks?
1: Uh, I think uh, for me it would probably be just when you get them all kind of in order and then you start really drilling down. Like for me, when I watch tape, I just kind of haphazardly put guys in the rounds that I think they go. (laughs) And the order's not all that important, but I think I have them in the right order. Then I go back over all my notes and I kind of reorder the rounds. And then you get to the end and you go, okay, Caleb Farley, how far, where do I put you with your back vasectomies? I don't know how to say the actual (laughs) word, so that's what I go with is back vasectomies. Uh, Like, where do I put you now? Because I'm going to tell you, right now I have Caleb Farley as cornerback eight. Wow. Because I just, you know, that to me that is the challenge. The medical part is the challenge. Like, when somebody gives you a thumbs up and they say, hey, Caleb Farley is going to be, he's going to be okay. In my mind, I just go, man, backs don't get better. And so where are you actually going to end up? And for me, it's, all right, I'm going to put you right behind all the corners that I really like. And then – because it's weird that I've talked to Will McClay. We talked to Will McClay about this um, on The Fan at one point. And what do they do with injured guys, with medical red flag guys? And he said that they leave them where their talent dictates. So, like, when Jalen Smith was picked by the Cowboys – Jalen Smith was sitting on their board in the first round, way up there at the very, very top. And I was like, man, that seems insane to me. And so I'd do it a different way. i put him where I would actually pick him. And so that's, that's, that's the thing right now for me is Caleb Farley. Where in the world do I put you? And so for me, the answer is cornerback eight.
2: I think Jeff hit on it pretty good, like the, the medicals. But, uh, you know, if you're like me, there ain't no stressing out, baby. We did the work. <laughs> we got him in order we're good to go i i i don't know and this is where i i think i want to ask bucky because he's lived this life before maybe the last minute in-house fighting of an organization uh maybe you know you get the scouts going or maybe a coach comes in and he's got a passionate plea on a powerpoint presentation about why you should take this guy over the guy you like better like maybe that's the type of thing that could cause some stress but I mean, come on, man. We're we're middle of April now. We're two weeks away. You're you're either ready to rock or you aren't.
0: Bucky? Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I I think when you get down to this process, a lot of it depends on who controls the draft, meaning is it a coach-driven team or is it a front office general manager-driven team? Because if it's a coach-driven team, the coach's voice has more sway and more power, meaning that... When they come in and the coaches, who may be late in the process, come in and kind of weigh, weigh in with their opinions, their opinions may cause more movement on the board than in a other situation where the general manager and the scouts are kind of running the process. So a lot of it depends on that. But really, there shouldn't be a lot of movement now, not necessarily governed by the scouts or the coaches. The medical stuff and the background stuff, that is like the the top decision makers have to deal with that, but your grade is your grade. And I think we have to be careful of not necessarily trying to weigh in with the medical. Like it shouldn't impact whatever you saw on the player on the tape. Grade them on that, and then
0: whatever happens with the
3: medical is the medical.
0: that's kind of exactly what Jeff, you were just talking about, of what Will McClay had to say. Whenever it it comes to the medicals, I mean, we just saw 150 prospects go to Indianapolis and get the medicals checked out. But does that, that that's not supposed to change? I'm with you, Jeff. I basically switch the tag as to where they're going to get picked. Now, of course, I didn't get grown up into the the scouting world at the same time like a Bucky or a Will McClay, but there's different aspects of the injuries that worry me to the point of being able to take a prospect a little bit later on than usual.
1: Yeah, I would think like Will McClay's initial job was the idea of marrying the scouting department with the front office, with the coaches and all that. Mm-hmm. And like it, it, this, will almost go into what we're going to talk about later with the Rams not going on the road anymore. Like I just wonder, is that the best practice to just say, "Hey, this player is this good," so we put him on the board, and then when we get on the clock later in the draft, and he's falling because of his medicals. We just say our doctors say it's okay, and we pick him, and we get excited about having a first-round talent, or can we marry those two things where the medical people are saying, here's how we feel about it, and then you actually slot them where you're willing to pick them instead of where the talent dictates. I don't know. To me, that's what I would want my team to do is not be getting on the clock and then looking up and going, guys, we still got that first-round guy available. I would want to know, hey, the first-round guy with the back or with the knee or with the whatever, where did we decide his actual value is as a pick? And then that way we don't have to go back and forth on it while we're on the clock. We can just be like, yeah, he's our he was the fourth best player in this draft, and now we've decided we would be willing to pick him as the 40th player in the draft. And so there he sits instead of having to have that debate on the clock.
0: It is something that all of these front offices are going to have to look at moving into these next couple of weeks, especially with the medical information that the media is not going to have access to. I mean, we can try as hard as we want, but whenever it comes to the 150 players that went to Indianapolis and had those medical checks, we have no idea how those turned out. Maybe Caleb Farley went there and proved to teams that he is a top-10 caliber corner, or that he is ready to go despite some of the back issues. So there's a lot of question marks that are going to come, and I think because of that, we're going to see a a lot of light bulb picks in the first couple of rounds of the NFL draft coming up here in 16 days well let's go to the final day of the NFL draft going all the way into May to talk in this first segment and KT you brought up this topic in our group message this week but we want to have a quick day three round table we've got about 15 minutes, 12 minutes or so to get to this before we get to Twitter on the 20. But who are some of the more intriguing day three guys, KT, that come to mind? And we'll start on the offensive side of the football, a position that's the deepest and that's most likely to be picked by Dallas later in the draft.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think wide receiver's the deepest, and I don't necessarily see them, you know, going that route, but but for sure wide receiver's the deepest. Um, and I, I'll say that I mean obviously I'm a UNT guy, so I always want to give Jalen Darden some love. My, my idea here, you know, let's just kind of round him. Here's some of the guys that we like, and these this these could be guys that are fifth round grades or something, but like just some guys who are a little deeper down the line that you kind of maybe maybe like. Maybe you like him a little more than the rest of the world. I want to throw out an offensive tackle because the, the Cowboys are going to be in the offensive tackle market. And I like this guy from Florida, Stone Forsythe. I, I don't think he's a very good run blocker, but he's six foot eight and he moves pretty well for a big man. Like, I, I, I always enjoy watching, when I watch the Mavs play, I always enjoy when Bobon's in the game. But Bobon, you know, he doesn't move know. very well. But, like, we have a little big man love. Well, Porzingis can move a little bit. I like watching the big guys play. Watch Joel Embiid last night. He's a truck. But, like, Stone Forsythe is a pretty good pass blocker for a guy that's 6'8". So uh, that's a guy who I've got kind of in the fourth round. And, you know, well, maybe a team takes a shot at him, you know, uh, in the third round. Maybe at late day two. But I think he'll probably be a day three guy. But that's kind of my, my late discovery as we've been going on here. Stone Forsythe, the offensive tackle from Florida.
0: Nice. That might be nice. my second favorite name in the NFL draft behind Divine Diablo. I, I think that might Stone Forsythe. Uh, excuse me, I can't even say it. Forsythe might be my favorite name. Jeff, is there a day three guy you're looking at?
1: I actually think that you guys should be really happy. I think the guy at the top of the list for me would probably be Jalen Darden. Um, hey,
2: how
1: about that? Watching him, watching him the other day. I just I think if you can find a guy that's going to be a little bit undervalued, whether it's because of level of competition or whether it's because of, uh, in his case, size. I mean, just looking at the number of spots that he gets in, like in the screen game where you hit these quick hitters and you're like, oh, look, there's nowhere to go. There's definitely nowhere to go down the sideline. And then he teleports and he's down the sideline and he's slipped through somewhere where you don't think a human can fit. Uh, I actually think that that's a really good name because... In looking over a lot of the day three guys, I actually didn't see a ton of guys with like, you know, your 4 2 or 4 3. Like, hey, can I just find a guy that can bring an element for me? And I think Darden has a little bit of that. And for the Cowboys on day three, preparing for what's next at wide receiver should probably be part of this for them. You don't have to do it early by any means. But with Gallup going into the last year of a deal, Amari Cooper has no guaranteed money left. Uh, and. The NFL is so much about your weapons anyway uh, I, I think if the right guys there on day three and I love the idea of it being Jalen Darden at North Texas I think it makes a lot of sense.
3: Yeah I think I think when you're dealing with like day three guys like this typically comes down to trace and what are the redeeming qualities is it highway speed is it production can you envision them carving out a role because when you're grading guys in the rounds four through seven you're talking about backup or developmental players. Mm-hmm. So how can you see them get onto the field? Um, is that as a rotational pass rusher or a third or fourth wideout who also makes plays on special teams? There has to be something that buys them time uh, to give them an opportunity to develop to the point where they can get a jersey on Sundays. And so. When Jeff is talking about speed or trying to find a 4-2 guy or something, typically when you're in that, that bargain basement, Ben, you, you, you're trying to find something that you're saying, hey, he has this, we can build upon this until he develops or rounds out the rest of his game.
2: The Buc- yeah, I, I liked it. You know, j- go for it. Oh, go, go ahead, Kyle. No, that's all you, KT. Well, I just wanted to give, like I know a lot of people are going to say this about you know Jalen Darden. Uh, because he played at UNT and Conference USA, and they don't play a lot of top-flight schools. But do you remember when people would talk about the, when Cole Beasley left and signed the big contract with the Bills, and they brought in Randall Cobb, and it was one year at $6 million or whatever, but the discussion was, while Beasley may be a little bit more shifty underneath and able to get separation underneath, Cobb is more likely to go win down the field, and Darden can do both of those things. And this happens every year with draft analyst or, or scouts probably or, or whoever you know fans even falling in love with those kind of slot type of guys like pure slot guys and you, me, you know because of their size and because of maybe some uh, limitations physically they're probably a day three guy and i think that's probably right for Darden, but like he's got years of production to back it up and it, he's not a fluke like i i just can say that mm-hmm. from you know and I know Kyle and I have seen UNT play a ton because we went there and we're proud of it. Um, but, like, he's no. not a joke. He's not a <laughs> joke at all. So, like, I, I think I, I'm glad that I hope people are, are taking him seriously because, and who knows? I mean, again, we're, we're probably talking, I've got him in the fifth round still because yeah. there's a ton of wide receivers and you can't put them all in one round when you're stacking them. But I, I do think, like, this is not some guy to, to be slept on. This is This is legit.
0: No, he was the program's all-time leader in career receptions (laughs) with 230 receiving yards. He had almost 3,000 receiving yards in his career, and he had 38 touchdowns, and almost half of those came in last year's shortened collegiate season. So like, like you said, KT... Not a joke by any means whenever we're talking about Jalen Darton's because we actually think he's good. Sure, he went to our alma mater, but even Jeff just went on a rant about him unprompted. And Jeff is not a North Texas grad even though he likes ACU a lot and his team also won a, a game in the tournament. Now, Bucky, you were about to say something?
3: Yeah, so there are a couple of different things. Um, one, when because he's not a small school guy because he's a group of five. like I would categorize that different than a small school guy. I would mm. I would think your small school guys are the ones that play at your FCS or D2 level. The difference is um, with all of these guys, like if you're not talking about a power five guy, what you want to see is, do I see consistent dominance of him versus his competition? Does he dominate whenever you turn on the tape? Then what you would like to do is see Does he have an opportunity to play against a big school? And if he plays against a big school and he holds his own or he doesn't look like a fish out of water, then you can feel more confident about the grade that you're giving him based on the production and the performance that you've seen him against smaller competition. The other thing, because we talk about assigning round value, round value, like it's different because it's hard, like um, on this side and the team side or whatever, but like it might help. If you think about it this way, like think about assigning verbiage to round value, meaning first round guys should be guys that come in and start right away. Second round guys should be maybe borderline first year starters, but key contributors. Third rounders, A, hey, may take a year or two before they get on the field, but by year two or three, they should be starters. And then fourth through seventh round are those developmental guys. And in the fourth round, typically, is someone that could have been in that day. One a day two category, but there's an issue. Whatever that issue is, it could be character, it could be medical, it could be just like an inconsistent production, but the skills say that he could play up, but for whatever reason, here he is. And then as it goes down, your sixth and seventh round guys are kind of like your priority free agents, meaning I I like a couple of skills that would give them a chance to make a roster, and I like them enough that I don't want them to hit the open market. That's why we're going to draft them, because we want him more so than, A, he's a free agent, then we're going to outbid somebody else for him. I'd rather secure his services by expending a pick on him as opposed to competing maybe with others for that free agent market that we've seen kind of escalate when guys get out there after the draft is done.
0: Lots of thought process whenever it comes to draft prospects. Now, going to the defensive side, Bucky, do you have any names that stick out from that side of the football, day three? Because, I mean, we've talked about it previously, but the Cowboys with ten picks, ten picks overall, there's a lot that's going to go into the defensive side. I mean, you could say seven or eight of those guys, if they make all ten picks, could be defensive players.
3: Yeah. So, I think what's interesting about defensive players in this secondary class in particular is we're going to see a run on players and some of the notable names are going to end up uh on day three so like for instance prior to last year everyone talked about sean wade sean wade was arguably one of the top slot corners he goes outside this year doesn't play as great and now we haven't heard about him but i would think in the fourth round he will probably, fourth or fifth round, he's probably going to hear his name call just because he has a role that you can envision him playing. He was a nickel corner at Ohio State. He played his best when he played in the slot. If you put him back inside, he may play like the player that we saw play the first two years at Ohio State. Um, there are other players that kind of fall into that category. Trey Brown from Oklahoma, who is big school guy, same thing. What is his best fit? Where does he play? How can you envision him playing? Um, philosophically, it really just depends on like how you, you view it from a front office standpoint. The Cowboys have been notorious for going for more smaller school guys in the back end of the draft mm-hmm. because some people believe that there's more potential from a guy that plays at a smaller school because he hasn't been afforded all the luxuries of guys at bigger schools, meaning training, training table, all that stuff. So he has more maybe room to grow and develop, whereas a guy at a big school has been given everything. And so a lot of it just depends on how your scouts and coaches view that process and where do they want to shop at when it comes to those later-round prospects.
2: KT? Jeff, you got some names? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll throw one. Uh, so I, I know that Jeff likes uh, Thomas Graham, the cornerback from Oregon. I actually like the yeah. other Oregon cornerback, D'Amador Lenore. And again, you know, we're talking about day three. The run on corners is going to be real interesting because uh, there's a lot of ways you could probably stack those guys, and there's a ton of them. It's kind of a lot like wide receiver in that that regard. With Lenore, you know, I, I like the way he moves in terms of his fluidity and things like that. I, I'm not a fan of the lack of ball production. He did get thrown on a little bit uh, in his last couple of years. But you know his better football was at the beginning, and I just see that potential there. And if we're going like high end upside, like he had potential to be a, a true cornerback one at Oregon. He, I mean, he was their cornerback one, but like it just continued to kind of fall off a little bit. So I want to find out what happened, kind of like Bucky was talking about with Sean Wade. Like what happened? It was kind of clear what happened with him. You know, once you moved him, it became it became a, a bit of a problem outside. So with Lenore, the potential was always there. The upside was always there. And it just didn't finish out the right way uh, in Oregon. And, you know, they had, you know, coaching change and all that go down and all that stuff. But Lenore's a guy who I still like and I'm willing to take a chance on because you see the fluid hips. You see him always around the ball. He's kind of an almost guy. He's almost there all the time. And maybe tighten that up a little bit. And he's a confident player. That's one thing you know about him is that he's confident. And if he's a guy who doesn't get his head down when uh, he gets picked on a little bit, you know maybe we can work with something there. So I've got Lenore kind of on my radar there on day three as well.
1: All right. So I have like 150 guys that I'm going to go through real quick, guys. Okay. Um, the Cowboys love – I'm glad that KT brought up corner because if there's two things the Cowboys love to draft, I would say it's corners and edge rushers, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense because it's a premier position. But when you get, when I started getting into the guys who – and it's hard because you say day three, and I'm like, okay, day three for me or day three for what I see from other outlets ranking players. So I'll just give you guys yeah. a handful of guys, and if any of you have seen them, and I'm sure you've all seen them, and want to weigh in because – As I'm working through a lot of these edges, it's guys who aren't being talked about as being early in the draft, but it's full-size dudes that I think the floor is fairly safe on some of these guys. Florida State, both their edges. Janarius Robinson Mm -hmm. and uh, Joshua Kando, is that how you say it? It is, yeah. I mean... Both of them. You're talking about like 6'5 and 260 and watching the the length that they have play and you're watching uh, the power play. I like those guys. Chauncey Golston at Iowa, 6'5, 270. Like there's a lot of these edge guys that I feel like because there's not a lot of snap to their game in terms of, oh, he's really going to turn the corner on you or, oh, he's really got – he ran a 6'8, 3-cone. But these guys that are sort of steady power – length, those kind of players, I feel like those are the kind of guys that maybe they could get in a rotation on your NFL team early and they're gonna stick around and they're going to last in the NFL because that's that's part of the league. So even though you're missing the massive upside with the athleticism, like it's almost like a budget Peyton Turner, I guess. Houston's Mm. Peyton Turner will probably go earlier than these guys because he's huge and his athletic testing was great and he's got production but i think that there's i think that there's a few other guys that can man the edge for you that if they start falling into the fourth and fifth round i like them. Chauncey Golston Kendo Janarius Robinson and even uh Ogun Deji at Notre Dame ooh i was Some about kind of to bring him. his You're name you are talking up, about Jeff? sort of a, a length and power player yeah, I
0: like him a lot. I mean, you, like you said, length, the power, the size. He's a Senior Bowl guy. He was a guy that at Notre Dame kind of stuck out from the pack a little bit, at least in my mind. Whenever watching their tape, but I liked him a lot. Oh, I, I, I haven't gotten his pronunciation yet. How would you say that, Jeff? Ogundiji? Oh,
1: I just took a wild. I just took a wild swing at it and went Ogundeji.
0: Okay.
1: okay. Yeah, I'll just to take a yet. shot at it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not afraid.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got a couple small skinny corners. How about this? Oh,
2: I, I actually, KT, go with Doe real quick. Well, real quick, I said Doe is kind of my Lenore of the the edge guys because Kendo's a guy who was you know better off early in his career, a very highly touted prospect, and just didn't it just didn't work down the stretch at Florida State for whatever reason. So Lenore and Kendo, to me, I've, I've kind of think about those guys in the same way, highly touted prospects who just. Had a good career early on. And it just kind of faded away through their college career.
0: Kaind was a guy who I really do like. I think overall now. A couple small school corners. One of which I know you already like, Jeff, because of the Senior Bowl. Actually, both of these guys went to the Senior Bowl. But Robert Rochelle out of Central Arkansas. How about a zero-star recruit that came in and was locked down during his time in Mobile? And then Brian Mills, a transfer to North Carolina Central from the College of the Canyons, another zero-star recruit who was kind of a lockdown corner in Cover One during his time playing for uh, for North Carolina Central. Both of them decent in terms of corner length. I mean, they're not going to jump off the page, but they're quick. They are sticky in coverage. Jeff, I know you like Rochelle. Have you seen Brian Mills as well?
1: I've only seen these guys from senior bowl stuff. Yeah. I mean if Bucky is if Bucky's holding out on this Rochelle all 22 and he wants to uh, <laughs> shuttle it over. I know Bucky, I know Bucky has the plug. Uh, uh if anybody is watching and has that uh, Rochelle, Rochelle all 22, I need it. He's one of the few guys I haven't seen. I've got a Jeff if you here's need it.
3: Here's what I Here's what I take. Yeah, here's what I tell you about Rochelle and here's what is important sometimes when you dig in the background. The fact that Rochelle was third in the state in the 100 meters at Louisiana. The time is 10.8. What that gives you is like what you're trying to do is we talk about trying to find these these traits, these redeemable qualities. So he's he's probably a guy like at his pro day he 43s, four 44s four in that range. And then when you look at the fact that he has all of these plays on the ball so 25 career breakups he has 10 interceptions and typically the way that it goes down guys who get their hands on the ball in college also get their hands on the ball in the pros and Mm so depending upon the style of play and if we're talking about Dallas specifically you have to find guys who are comfortable being nose-to-nose playing because Dan Quinn is going to ask those guys to do nose-to-nose things even though it's a hybrid cover three defense and so Rochelle would certainly fit in there. I know we have this thought with the Cowboys that, A, they want everyone that's 6'3 and stuff like that because of the Richard Sherman, but they play with guys that are 5'10, they play with guys that are 6' foot or whatever. He taps in at like 6'1, which is certainly long enough. Mm-hmm. Anytime you can find a big quarter that can run, even in a straight line, he is going to give a chance. You take chances on the guys because that speed and that length gives you an opportunity to cover some of those top receivers.
2: I also like another another name I want to throw out there. I know we probably need to go to break soon, Kyle. Yeah. All um, uh, this is another guy I just like watched late. Uh, it's uh, Elijah Griffin from USC. I'm always down to draft a guy who's the son of Warren G and the Warren nephew Warren of Dr. Dr. Dre. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. I'm down, for, like whatever. I just want some cool stories. Like I'm down for that. This is
0: the <laughs> next level draft analysis that you get here on the on the Cowboys dot com draft shows. We get the the relations to famous. Artists and and, and musical talents up here on the draft show. Yeah, let's go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, we've got a special edition of Twitter on the 20. We're giving out some signed Star Magazine draft guides to whoever's questions we answer next. We'll do that right after the break here on the DallasCowboys.com draft show.
4: Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer, brewed with great taste and only 96 calories, available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. We're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds. It's new Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. Let's take a listen. Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda's here. A new combo that's music to my ears. Okay,
2: let's play. Cream Soda and Dr. Pepper time. Pour it in a glass of ice.
4: Ah, music to my ears and new Dr Pepper and cream soda
0: a delicious treat hey cowboys fans if you're thinking about attending a game this season visit cowboystravel.com to book your travel package today stay at the team hotel have dinner with a cowboys legend and experience AT&T Stadium's exclusive VIP owners club also tour the star get autographs from your favorite players and talk Xs and Os with me Mickey Spagnola the official travel partner of the Dallas Cowboys will take care of all your travel needs. Visit cowboystravel.com.
4: There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Esselor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and crisolve for freedom from glare. Three cutting edge solutions in a single unique lens. So, whatever your needs, insist on Esselor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more, do more, Essilor. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer, brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show
0: back here on the DallasCowboys.com draft show presented by Miller Lite as always. Just 16 days away from the NFL draft. I know all of you at home are counting down just like we are. And of course you can count down the right way with the Dallas Cowboys official Star Magazine draft guide. You can get it on DallasCowboys.com. You can also find it at the Cowboys Pro Shop as well a both physical and digital copy. Now if you buy the digital version, unfortunately we can't sign that one. However, We are going to... I mean, I guess we could sign it, Jeff, with your NFTs. Uh, We are going to Mm -hmm. sign Mm -hmm. some physical copies and send them out to whoever's questions we answer right now on Twitter on the 20. Twitter
4: on the 20.
0: There we go. Got it in the background from Chris Beam, as always. And we're going to start things off with Barnabas Lee on Twitter. And I like this question a lot because he says, which prospects are the media... And the scouts furthest apart on. We'll start that with Bucky since I guess you're a part of the biggest media outlet that we have here sitting at the table. But what's the biggest difference in media and scouts right now? Gosh. Um, I I want to
3: say the quarterback stuff. Like the quarterback stuff with um, the guys after Trevor Lawrence. Like the Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields stuff. I think that conversation has spiraled so far out of control because everyone mm-hmm. wants to be right when it comes to the mock drafting stuff that the stuff that I hear internally with teams and the fights that I have on Twitter is so crazy. And I think <laughs> Mac Jones is the one. Because like, the Mac Jones conversation um, is, is really so polarizing in terms of Like, you can appreciate and recognize what he did at Alabama, but then you also can be like, man, I just still don't see him as, like, that guy. And you have some scouts that are like, man, I wouldn't take that guy in the first round. And you have others who, like, rave about him, and I think he's the next coming of Tom Brady or whatever. And it's just such a divide. And because scouts have been separate and apart for pretty much the entire year, you don't have think tank which is great, but it also leads to more volatility. So I think when we finally get to draft night, draft night is going to blow our mind because I don't know if we really know how people really view these prospects when it comes to pulling them off the board.
2: Jen. I couldn't agree oh, more. I, I think, I, I, well, I, I like Bucky's comment about like everyone wants to be right on their mock drafts. In the end, how many times, and I know there's a few uh, websites that go look at it, but after the draft happens, outside of the people who do the drafts regularly, how many people even bring it up? Like, this guy was right and this guy was wrong. Like, that might come up in inner circles. There's maybe, like, one aggregator website that keeps those. Dude, who cares? I'm not thinking about who mocked whoever correctly once the draft is done. You know, you're, you're moving on to the next stage of building your team. So, like, I do think that's very, very interesting. And, you know, another player I want to throw out there, is, you know, I, I mean, it's it's weird when you talk about, like, media because I don't always follow, mm-hmm. like, a ton of media when it comes to this stuff. Like, you got your people that you follow, kind of, and then you're kind of like, you know, there's a lot of yeah. stuff I kind of block out when I'm tracking sure. the draft. Um, but, like, I did see like, the, the Senior Bowl um, uh, uh, guy, I don't know what his title is, but it's Jim Nagy. Mm-hmm. What is his Senior uh, Bowl? The,
3: the director. Executive director.
2: Yeah, hey, director, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for And he had this big tweet about Divine Diablo Talking about him going in, you know, on day two mm-hmm. And I said, i there going, yeah, I mean, I like Divine Diablo But I, I, I didn't necessarily see him as a guy who would be a, you Watch know top. It, I Watch know he's yourself. your guy I know he's your guy Watch I know he's yourself. your guy But I didn't, I didn't exactly see Divine Diablo as a top 100 player in this year's draft Careful there what? Careful there. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't kick I don't in know. your
1: door and talk bad about the things in your life, do I? I don't do that, okay? So let's just you be You can. Cool. Oh, yeah. Let's just be cool about Divine Diablo. He's a good player. Everybody is so thrown off because he's a 230-pound safety. It's not his fault that he's <laughs> able to carry that weight and still run a 4-4. Why don't you back off a little bit? My guy's his A2 player. Leave Malone.
2: Just don't make him cover and he's fine. Just don't make him cover. Who made that up? Who made that up? Who made I did. It? Stop making stuff up. It's like Justin
1: uh, Fields' one-read thing. Don't pretend my guy can't cover. My guy can cover. I need to chill out on Divine right. Diablo. Give him to me. You don't need him. You don't deserve him. I don't want him.
0: What uh, What are some of the guys, or at least that you think that the scouts and the media are furthest apart on?
1: Well, I would like to take this opportunity to admit to the world that it took me a long time to get a hold of 2020 USC tape, and um, I like I think that this topic is really tough, because I don't really know how NFL teams feel about these players, and honestly, I don't care how media feels about these players. I think if you watch these guys, then what other people think shouldn't matter. Like, KT can honestly mm-hmm. feel however he wants about a player, and I will, and it doesn't bother me in the slightest, and however they turn out is however they turn out, but... I think we – the narrative seems to be that Panay Sewell is the crown jewel of the offensive line class, and I got to tell you, I actually think three guys belong in that conversation. And I know that Bucky is on to one of them because I saw him in a mock draft, and I was like – Oh, that's interesting. And then I watched the 2020 tape of Elijah Vera Tucker. Mm -hmm. And as I'm watching it and I'm tweeting about it, people are like, wait till you get to Oregon and he gets destroyed. And I'm like, I'm actually three-quarters of the way through Oregon, and all my notes are about how good he is, so I don't know who created this narrative. They're like, he got his butt kicked against Oregon because they've got a nice defensive end who uh, got around him once. And I'm like, wow, we just... People just run with whatever somebody told them once upon a time. But Mm Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, they're all studs. So yeah. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Rashawn Slater's the first lineman off the board. Um like Sewell's an incredible prospect, but so is Rashawn Slater. And Elijah Vera Tucker, I think he's right at their heels. I think that there are some studs in this class.
3: So Jeff, it's funny you talked about that. I have people on the West Coast who've told me they've ranked Tucker over Pene Sewell. They wow. believe he's the best guy on the West they believe he's the best guy on the West Coast. And then I have others who believe that Pene Sewell is um a stud that is a 12-year pro and a multiple-time all-pro because he's 330 pounds at 20 years of age and he can move like a dancing bear on the edge and his best football is ahead of him i think a lot of it when it comes to all of those guys even rashawn slater who i think is a technical marvel may not be the nastiest in terms of his playing demeanor and disposition but look from a technical standpoint he can, get it, he can get it done. I think all of it kind of goes with where they plug and play and fit because last year I remember the conversation was negative a little bit on Tristan Wirfs. And then we go and fast forward a year later, everyone's raving about how well Tristan Wirfs played. So a lot of it depends on where they go, where they land, and on that line because the offensive line is so dependent upon the neighborhood and the neighbors, who's playing to the right and left of you and how do you utilize – your help, it matters. And so I think all three of those guys are good. I think Shaw can be in the conversation um, as, a, as a solid guy. I think Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, depending on mm-hmm. style of play or whatever, I put Tevin Jenkins in Baltimore's offense. I bet you he looks like a pro oh. bowler right oh. away. Oh. Just let him those only people. Right, yeah. right. So a lot of it is, a lot of it is okay, um, this is how this player plays. Man, what would be a great fit? For this player in terms of they play the way that he wants to play and those things. Because that's really how it comes down to. Because that will ultimately determine how these guys are. I don't know if any of these guys are like the transcendent types where like the Walter Jones or the, the, the Larry Allens that it didn't matter where they play. They're going to be elite high level players. But I think they all are very, very good. And I think they all are worthy of being in a discussion up at the top of the board.
0: I've really grown on what Tevin Jenkins brings to the table out of Oklahoma State. We're showing a ton of highlights of him up on the board at the moment, and, man, they're just nuts. I mean, he's he's pretty solid whenever it comes jerk. to the outside. He is. He's a big bully. Okay, so we've got four questions to get to here in the next, like, seven minutes. So, Chris Staff says, outside of Alabama cornerback, which position slash college combo with prior success for the Cowboys is the most logical for them to tap into this draft. And he gave an example because that's kind of tough to keep up with. But like Tyler Biotish and Travis Frederick, position, player, college, combo oh, to where yeah. you could potentially yeah, go and get it. Jeff, yeah, you got, got a
1: guy? I got it, Kyle. Check this out. Man, at least one of you is going to hate this. Maybe all three of you are going to hate this. Okay. But you know what? I'm sick and tired of seeing. I'm sick and tired of seeing mock drafts that have Jalen Waddle going either 11 or 12. You've had a lot of great success with Amari Cooper there, the Alabama receiver that you traded for. <laughs> Why don't you just go ahead and take Jalen Waddle so that the Giants or Eagles don't get to do it? All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. I don't want to hear it. I gotta go. <laughs> See
2: ya, Jeff. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Uh, I know. I, I love it, and but I also love the conversation we were just having. How about Tyron Smith and Elijah Vera Tucker? Hey! I like having,
1: that. having fun mm. now, aren't we? Add that I do name like in that. there,
2: Ted. Now we're having fun.
3: Can I, can I, can I, can I throw a grenade? Can I can yes. I throw a grenade? Did some, Jeff not some, just throw a cow, grenade? Cow, <laughs> some some cowboy fans will love it or hate it, but um how about Notre Dame and a Notre Dame linebacker? JOK! Like, <laughs> Like, I'm just saying, I mean, since they've had so much success with Jalen Smith, why not double dip in the Notre Dame pond and, like and pull it, out yo. JOK and
1: You're let him
3: play? A- that athletic Pro, yeah. linebacker spot.
1: Yeah, you're talking about a Pro Bowl linebacker who earned a big second contract. I think he tried to bark at that tree again. Let's go, J.O.K. Yeah. This, you know this sounds like? This sounds like Captain Trade Down gets to ride here. If we're picking between Vera Tucker and J.O.K. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get down to 15 with New England and let's see what happens. Oh, yeah, man. gosh. And
2: Mo Clayborn and Kerry Vincent, LSU. Wait.
1: Okay, we're reaching. Yeah. Hey, hey, Trey Bollard. Sermon, Ohio Bollard. State running back. How about we get. <laughs> Tennessee's tight end this year. Oh, I was going to say an
0: SEC tight end. Florida's tight end of Kyle Pitts. They wear orange. They're That's in the SEC. You could maybe throw that in there in terms of past cheating. success that you have. I know. It's totally cheating. Good question, Chris. I like that. That's fun. I, we can make a whole segment Notre out of that.
1: Notre Dame's got a guard this year, don't they? Banks. They do? Yeah. Oh, Banks. okay with the Notre Dame guard. Yeah, I Man. like that.
0: Uh, Doug Brady asks, how does the process work for deciding a trade-up slash trade-down? When are those conversations had between teams and internally? Who decides, or is it a collective decision? Bucky, you'd probably be the best one to answer that one.
3: Uh, you start having conversations um, after your board is set in terms of the prospects, and you're beginning to try and figure out okay who could be in that cluster or who could be in range or you go through what we call these mock draft scenarios if these four guys are available, like the Cowboys at 10, if these guys are available at 6 any of them worth us moving up to get if, I mean, I don't know who would be in this scenario. Okay, let's just use Kyle Pitts because Jerry Jones talked about him. Mm -hmm. If Kyle Pitts is suddenly available at 7 is it worth talking to the Carolina Panthers or the Detroit Lions to get in that range? What would we be willing to give up to get him? Uh, Mike McCarthy, if we got him, how would we utilize him? Would that make us better, or would sitting and picking uh, Pastor Tan make us better? Which guy would make us a better team? That's the conversation that you have, and if you can convince the decision maker, hey, we're a much better team if we have Cal Pitts over Patrick Sertan, if we can make it happen, let's go make it happen. Let's put a phone call in. Oh, the phone call was receptive. Are we willing to part with whatever it is? Yes, because we'll be that much better. Mm-hmm. That could be better. The office is unstoppable. Yet yeah, we don't have to worry about stopping the run because now we're hanging 50 on them and it doesn't matter. So those conversations.
1: And can then, happen. Bucky. Do you guys have the same ones about potentially trading down? Let's just say I'll drop a Cowboys scenario. You're at 10. Patriots want to come get those, the fifth quarterback mm-hmm. still available. Do you sit there and count on your hand? You're like, okay, but how many guys are we good with? Because we got to get to five. Because if we can't get to five, we yeah. can be at 15 and lose our guys.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. so you have, to have, you, have to have, you have to be comfortable with five guys that you're like, oh, look, these five guys are on the board. We're comfortable with any of those guys. So, yeah, we can move back. Or you you want to be in a cluster where you're fine with whatever's left if somebody does a surprise pick ahead of you or those things. So, yes, if there's a cluster of guys available or a cluster of guys that are similarly graded and you're like, yeah, I'm fine, we'll move down to 15, not a problem, we'll pick up an extra
0: whatever, yeah, you can make that happen. And. Certainly the Cowboys are going to be in this right in the sweet spot of that conversation. Moving on to David Leach's question. I'm going to start with you on this one, KT. Who are some day three corners that might be able to make the move to safety, especially if they don't draft a free safety early on? Quinn has experienced moving guys like Kazee and Ricardo Allen. So I mean, we saw it last year with Reggie Robinson. He was a day three corner who switched over to yeah. safety. It didn't necessarily work out, but Dan Quinn's had a lot more success with things like that. Do you see anybody in that
2: realm in terms of the, the cornerbacks that could potentially make the move? I mean, there's a lot of guys I think who could do that, but it's not something that I would like like push for immediately. Um, but, but there's one name I want to throw out there is uh, McPherson, the, the Texas Tech cornerback, because mm. he has shown that he can play both inside and outside. He can play, man. He can play zone. He's got a pretty good understanding of what to do, and you don't always see that on Texas Tech's, uh, you know, got a really bad defense. He didn't have a ton of help at all times. So it's very hard to, uh, you know, watch a lot of Texas Tech games and be like, oh, okay. There's a there's a guy standing out here, but McPherson is a pretty good player um, And he's a guy who could maybe move. He's only got a couple of years. I mean he transferred from Penn State uh, So he had a couple of years at Tech uh, Again, we're, we're talking deep day three though. We're talking like, you know fourth or fifth round there with with, with, uh, with Zach McPherson, but that's a name when I was watching him on tape I was kind of going would he be a guy I could maybe move and let him just kind of roam around in center field I think that's the type of guy uh, that I like. That's just a name to throw out there because he had a lot of uh, ball, con- uh, a ball. He had a lot of uh, ball production last year. He had four interceptions in 2020. Uh, in high school, he was insane. He had 14 interceptions in high school. Uh, showed to be a bit of a playmaker, and the move from Penn State to Tech kind of hurt him. But keep an eye on uh, Zach McPherson. He's a guy that hasn't been talked about a ton, and I think he's a potential guy that you could move over to safety.
1: And I think Bucky nailed a guy earlier where Sean Wade, I think, would be a natural name for teams to consider moving to safety Mm -hmm. just because my theory on safety, and with all due respect to anybody out there who's playing safety right this second in their car, uh, you can (laughs) fail your way from corner to safety. And I think that might have just happened to Sean Wade. Whereas an outside corner, it wasn't working, but you'd seen him in the slots. You're like, okay, is he physical enough to be a safety? Uh, The athleticism, if you've played corners, probably good enough to play safety. What's your spatial awareness like? Um, So I think Sean Wade's probably the the shot-in-the-dark fourth- or fifth-round guy where you say, maybe we're going to play him in the slot. Maybe we're going to see if he can play safety, and what does that look like?
3: Yeah, I like like the name. I think Sean Wade, because it showed up. If you go back and you watch that game versus Clemson two years ago in the playoffs where he got kicked out for the hit I think he was inside and doing some of those things Um, it's a different skill set if you talk about a transition meaning converting a corner to free safety I think it was interesting as it relates to Dan Quinn Demonte Cassie had so many interceptions as a college corner uh, 17 or 18 interceptions when he was at San Diego State he was two time Mountain West defensive player of the year because he could get his hands on the ball In a perfect world, if you're thinking about moving someone to a center field safety type, you want someone who can get the ball like that. I don't know if there's a a player in the draft this year that kind of has that capability, but it's it's different because the job description is not an easy transition, asking a guy to go from on the island to playing in the middle because he not only has to now see the entire field, But he also has to be a tough enough dude to come up and smack Zeke Elliott when he breaks through the hole. And every corner isn't built for that life because that life is completely different. Um, It's a different job description coming downhill, kind of deal with those bangers that are running through. So they have to exhibit enough toughness and physicality at the outside while also having some ball awareness and range to be able to do it. so They may be speed deficient, but man, the toughness and physicality has to be there or you can't make the move.
0: Bucky, I've got a guy that fits that mold, but he also played a little bit of free safety in college. He went back and forth between corner and free safety. Israel Mukwamu from South Carolina. He's a Mm. little bit longer than Mm -hmm. I think you would want. He's like 6'4". I mean, he's a a huge corner, but he's only 212 pounds. He's quick enough. He didn't run a 40, so I, I can't Can't really pull up that number, but he's quick enough on tape to be rangy. I know I know there's a reason reason for that, but he led the team in interceptions, and remember, this is a team that had J.C. Horn on it, led the team in interceptions in each of the last two seasons. He had one start in 2019 at free safety, three starts in 2020 in just six games, but he also played corner throughout the rest of those games, and he opted out toward the end of the season. He's a guy who I know is listed as kind of one of those tweener guys between corner and safety because I've seen it on boards throughout the, the league, and I've also seen on things like this where he did play both free safety and corner. So that's another name I wanted to throw out there. Uh, Really quickly, final question, if I can bring up my notes again here on my laptop. Coach Forte, one of our favorites uh, on Twitter, he said, doesn't get talked about much, but what are some of the late-round running backs Dallas could look at? Pollard is in year three of four deal, and then Zeke is – of course, Zeke, good and bad. So there's some back and forth there from the running back spot. Uh, Jeff, have you seen any running backs? I know you hate watching quarterbacks. So does KT. But have you seen any yeah, tailbacks? Yeah,
1: I saw Najee Harris. I saw, I saw Najee Harris play live this year. Um, I saw both North Carolina backs play live this year. And I saw the Clemson back play live this year. And they're all pretty good. I wouldn't draft any of them, Bucky. I'd wait until about the fourth or fifth round and just pick a guy. Because they're just running backs. You know what I mean? <laughs>
3: Oh man, that's so disrespectful. I wouldn't. Move <laughs> I, wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't wait to the fourth. But I do believe the sweet spot is anywhere day two. You can get a running back. There's so many running backs that are good that can be productive that I don't think you have to really go outside of it. I love Najee Harris. I like Javante Williams, um, Travis Etienne. But I can make a case that hey, rather than take those guys early, I could take a Colin Hill and have similar production. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I could take. Other guys, Trey Sermon, if Trey Sermon's healthy, I can have similar production. It's about really being able to take the player and understand, here's how we play and this is what we want to do, so I don't need to go crazy for a running back. But I would say the same thing. I wouldn't go crazy over a wide receiver either, though.
2: My running back pet cat's Kenneth Gainwell because uh, he's also a wide receiver. Nice. Um, (laughs) He's really not technically a wide receiver, but he can do it. And I, I just love that he's a great pass catcher. So, um, but you said the guy said day three, right? The guy said day three. How about Elijah Mitchell, Louisiana? Runs a four three one forty allegedly. So uh, you know, like that 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 explosive, uh, take it to the house type. Let's go. Let's go to
0: Jaquan Hardy from Tiffin University, the Tiffin Dragons. That's my day three guy to look out for. How about that? Mm -hmm. Good luck trying to find Tiffin tape. tape. Yeah, yeah. Good luck trying to find it. (laughs) Uh, it. It's funny you say Kenneth Gainwell, KT. We've had some success with Memphis running backs that are kind of wide receivers in college as well. So, Ah. hey, maybe we're going back to Chris Staff's question earlier in the segment. Thank you so much for sending in some fantastic Twitter on the 20 questions. We'll be sure to send out those magazines to you that we answered questions from today. We'll answer five more questions on Thursday's show with Brian Broaddus, David Hellman, and, of course, Dane Brugler. So we'll have those sent out for those answered as well. But when we come back here on the Draft shoe show is the gps the new age of scouting and drafting we'll t- talk about it next on the DallasCowboys.com draft draft
4: sometimes nothing beats a classic miller light the original light beer brewed with great taste and only 96 calories available for delivery celebrate responsibly miller brewing company milwaukee wisconsin 96 calories 3.2 carbs per 12
0: ounces the cowboys way
4: That's huge. Then guess who's getting a deal? Is it Jackie Flash? Jackie Flash.
0: It's not complicated. At AT&T, our best smartphone deals are for everyone. Restrictions apply. Visit att.com for details.
4: Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self respecting cowboys. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com slash cowboys. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Light, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces
0: is the DallasCowboys.com draft show. Back here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. We've got some fun inter-DFW rivalries brewing on this show, and I love it. And it's brewing in the middle of the break. <laughs> Jeff Cavanaugh, Kevin KT Turner. We've got Bucky Brooks. I'm Kyle Yeomans. Final couple minutes. And really quickly, <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> we, uh, we wanted to bring up this article from The Athletic. Uh, Jordan Rodriguez was the one that, uh, that wrote this. I hope I said that last name right. She does fantastic work at The Athletic. I bet you didn't. I bet I didn't either. It looks like Rodriguez, but without a Z, so it's almost like Rodriguez. I tried to look up the pronunciation. I'm sorry. If I got it wrong, please tell me.
2: Rodriguez. Okay.
0: Uh Deep dive into the changes made by the Rams in the draft process. Jeb, give, give us a summary over this article that you can go find on The Athletic, but it really was interesting as to how Lesney, Sean McVay, and his entire staff did not hit the road for this college. College football season and this draft process and how it really hasn't changed a whole lot for them.
1: Yeah, so they basically, and reading through that, basically the Rams this year, you look around at the senior bowl or you look around at a pro date, it's like, hey, where where are the Rams? Like the Rams aren't going anywhere. Uh, and the answer to it, according to Les Sneed, is well, you had the pandemic, and he's like, and honestly, we kinda don't need to. Um, uh, And I love this thought process by NFL teams, whether you agree or disagree with any individual uh, sort of action. But their thinking right now is, are we better served going out to every individual thing? Are we better served being at the combine, watching people jump and do 40s and interviewing players? Or would we be better served spending way less time getting way more tape watched, and we'll still be able to interview these players on Zoom and we'll have an hour with them where they're more comfortable instead of 15 or 20 minutes where they're surrounded by 12 of us and they're coached on their answers. So I think it's just the Rams using the pandemic as an opportunity to go, okay, but let's also re-examine the way that we do everything. Are we doing all these things because it helps us or because it's the way it's always been done? Like They said the most important thing at the Combine is the medicals, our doctors are there. We're doing the doctor stuff. We're getting the medicals. But we have GPS tracking from their college games. I don't need to be there to watch them run a 40. I'll get the numbers from their vertical jump. I don't need to be there. So instead of sending a giant contingent to everything, they're letting the information come to them and saying essentially we think that we can do it as good or better in a less amount of time and have time to do other things by doing it this way which i thought was fascinating and i thought it would be a great question for bucky who's been a part of the nfl process like are those changes something where the rams are smart and just asking themselves honest questions and evaluating themselves or are they missing out
3: no no i i, I think it's really smart and i think it's part of a thing that was trending before the pandemic the pandemic only accelerated it. Uh, years before, we started seeing teams uh, keep their scouts away from the combine, not only because the cost, because instead of sending 10 to 12 guys to stay at the combine for that, it, 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 like, what are you gathering? The event now is on TV. You get all the official numbers. So what is it that you're really doing outside of the interviews? The pandemic gave us the opportunity to see that, oh, we can do virtual things. We can conduct interviews via Zoom and get the same stuff out of it. In fact, we can have multiple interviews with a prospect and really get to know them as opposed to the hard sit down at dinner or at the combine and those things. And then when it comes to grinding on the tape, yeah, that's the most efficient way. If you want to be accurate in terms of the draft, you have to put more time in when it comes to studying the tape. The other stuff takes away from that time that you can devote to film study. So I applaud the Rams for being able to do it. The final thing that you brought up was the GPS. I knew that the GPS thing was a big deal last year when they drafted Van Jefferson. Mm -hmm. I think Van Jefferson, after the Senior Bowl, might have had an ankle cleanup, so they never got an official 40. But they said they were fine because they had all of his GPS stuff from his time at Florida. And they actually found out that he was faster than many speculated based off of game action speed as opposed to the manufacturer speed that can be uh produced on a on a pro day
2: and it's like re- reading that article you still were reminded in that article that the tape is still paramount and then you use all these things and there's a quote in there that i like and i like when this stuff like almost translates to like real life as well just for the the common person like myself but they said is there a reason we're doing this are we doing this because uh, it's the way it's always been or we, should we change up the way we do things? And like every company in the world's thinking about this the, okay, do we really need this huge building? Do we really need everyone in the building? And I think that's real fascinating. You got an NFL team out here just saying how do we work more efficient? And you know there's a thing uh, we're talking about weighting certain um, uh, testing scores. You know, for a different position. Like, for instance, uh, the 40-yard dash for a linebacker, that doesn't mean a ton to me. Uh, I need to know how he can change direction, you know, and things like that. And, like, that's – I liked how they talked about how they were kind of for different positions or for different – Things they were looking for, uh, whether it be like a slot type of guy working over the middle of the field. They wanted kind of a bigger slot working on the middle of the field than Cooper Cup. It didn't really bother them that Cooper Cup didn't run a 4 4 And I thought that was really interesting to me how they kind of weighted things differently for what they were looking for in, in certain players. Um,
3: I think this. I think that is interesting, and I think it's always been a thing. Like one of the polarizing prospects that people have kind of beat up on, uh, and rightfully so. Like Gregory Rousseau. Like his pro day workout, I think he ran four, seven, four, four, seven, eight. but his 10 time was faster than the overwhelming majority of the pass rushers in the draft. And so, when you think about first step quickness and explosiveness, how well does that translate to sack production and those things? Um, 40 times in vertical jumps typically correlate. So when you're looking at your DBs with their arm length and those guys that run fast and jump high, uh, man covered, those are man covered corners and that stuff. So all those drills certainly play a part in the evaluation. You have to understand what battery of drills translates for what, which positions.
0: It took us until a minute over time for us to mention Gregory Rousseau in this podcast whenever we know that Bucky Brooks is very high on Gregory Rousseau and Jeff Cavanaugh is very oh, low. Oh. oh, are you not in? I either?
1: don't like I don't oh. like Uh-oh. I don't like that the world Uh-oh. has created a place where people fight about things and I'm cheering for literally everyone to do well. I hope Rousseau does no, no, well. No, no. I just didn't <laughs> talk of him as the first ten picks. I was just like, I don't
3: see yeah, it. I'm no, sorry. No, no, and I don't see him I don't see him like that. Okay. I think the main thing, I saw him in a in a light that is more like Jason Pierre Paul when Jason Pierre Paul was coming out of South Florida. Meaning Jason Pierre Paul was an unknown who had only played nine games and the Giants gambled on his traits and they were rewarded mm-hmm. after he played with Jet Justin Tuck and O.C. Manure or whatever. Rousseau, to me, is similar in that vein because, look, man, this is a high school safety, wide receiver, whatever. I don't know if he's tough enough to live down on that line of scrimmage in that life, but the traits are intriguing. So in a class where you don't have any proven dudes, you tend to gamble on traits over the other stuff.
2: I just want to say that none of the edge rushers or offensive tackles, offensive linemen in this draft could hang with King Kong versus Godzilla. (laughs) That fight (laughs) was incredible. Like it you don't need any pass rush moves in that fight. They're just beating the crap out of each other. And I think everyone should go watch it because it'll shout out to Mothra.
0: There you go. You got just like Godzilla making a swim move over King Kong and getting back to the uh, putting pressure on the quarterback. I think it's something that we need to look at. Maybe his vertical and three cone are a little more important than what we thought previously whenever that battle comes around. Godzilla's but,
1: Godzilla's gained a lot of agility since I saw it 20 years ago.
2: It's
0: a good point. It's a good point. Uh, CGI big, will do that. Big GPS.
2: Hits. Yeah. Big hips. Uh, and the thing about Godzilla, you know, got those short arms, you know. That's Didn't have KT. the reach. King go. Kong. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's <laughs> that's why I started talking about King Kong know. and Godzilla. I know. He, oh, he, gave it a, he gave it
0: a nice little way for me to get out of here. All right. Special thanks to Chris Beam in the back. For Jeff Cavanaugh, Bucky Brooks, Kevin KT Turner. We'll see you on Thursday. Just four more draft shows till the draft. We'll see you next time